Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. So I did a call out recently for some ideas for podcast episodes to see what you guys wanted to hear about. And I had a bunch of recommendations for a podcast episode about recommendations for running small groups or centers. And at first, to be honest, I was a little surprised because I have a ton of blog posts, which I will be linking in the show notes on this topic. But then I realized that a lot of those blog posts are kind of wordy and pretty detailed, and I wanted to go big picture with this episode. What are the big picture best practices for running your small groups and centers? We can obviously get really into the details on what that looks like, but overall, what should you be doing? I thought this would be like a great checks and balances episode if you are already running a center-based classroom to kind of make sure that you are on the right track in each of these areas. If you're not yet running a center-based classroom or want to, this will be a great jumping off point on how to get started. So let's go ahead. I, I love this topic though, guys. I could, I could talk for days. I could probably write a book about small groups and centers, but this is my challenge to myself to kind of to kind of summarize and just give those big take-home points. 
So when you're setting up your small groups or your centers, there's really kind of two things you want to do before we even run the group. We want to establish our groups of students according to similar goals, and then we want to establish clear schedules and expectations for both students and staff. So let's dive into that first part. We want to set up our groups with our students according to similar goals. This is really the whole purpose of utilizing small groups or centers. In a self-contained classroom or in a resource room, sometimes you are teaching way beyond the grade levels that are on your door or that you are assigned to. You might teach sixth through eighth grade, but you might really teach first through eighth grade because some of your kids are working on first grade level content. Or if you are a two to fourth grade teacher, you might really be teaching pre-K through third grade because you have that huge span of skill sets to work on. And that is so overwhelming as a teacher. When you go to that photocopier and you are photocopying preschool leveled work and fifth grade level work, that's just a lot of content, first of all, to know, and second of all, to keep organized. So if you feel that pressure, like, Oh my God, why do I have to know all of these things? Know that you are absolutely not alone. There's a lot of stuff to know when you are teaching that broad of a span. You're teaching that many different skill sets in one classroom. The point of creating small groups or centers is so you can become a little bit more efficient with your instruction. You can group students that have similar goals so you can teach them together. They don't need to have exactly the same goals, but if they have similar leveled goals, then you can work on them together. If you have kids that are working on preschool through fifth grade level content, you should be doing very minimal whole group instruction. I'm going to say that again. You should be doing very minimal whole group instruction. When you do whole group instruction to that wide of a span, you're going to kind of target the middle, right? That's just what we naturally do. We shoot for the middle. Well, for half of the students the work is going to be way too easy and they're going to be bored. For the other half of the group, the work is going to be way too hard and they're going to be bored. And what do we do when we're bored? And I don't mean our students. What do we do? What do you and I do when we're bored? We engage in off-task behaviors, right? Think about the last time you waited for a really long stoplight or got stuck by a really long train. What did you do? You pulled out your phone and you started scrolling Instagram or maybe you're a TikToker. Maybe you like to watch, you know, someone making a table or a recipe on YouTube and suddenly people are beeping at you because you are not moving because you are entranced in the TikTok videos you are watching, right? We engage in off-task behavior when we're bored. That's exactly what our kids do too. No judgment, right? They, the work that they are being given is not at their level, So when we have small groups or centers that are focused on one skill set, we can give them work that is accessible to them. It's not too hard. It's too easy. It's just right. That's our goal. Work that's just right. In a big group setting, that's hard to do. We'll do our whole group activities for other functions. We want to have whole group activities to work on social skills and executive functioning skills and building empathy and friendships and all these great things. But when it comes to our core academics, we want that just right work that's truly individualized. So that's why we are going to use 
small groups or centers with all of the students in each group being at a similar level. After you set up groups of students based on similar goals, then we want to establish clear schedules and expectations for both students and staff. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, right? I said schedules and expectation. I said students and staff. Basically, this is where we do all of the behind the scenes work that makes this really run. So first is establishing that schedule. So if you have four different groups in your class, what are those groups doing and when? This is where I advise you make an Excel spreadsheet and you plop those groups in and you kind of make it all make sense there. You want to know, hey, if my red group, you know, Johnny, Lisa, and Adam are working with me, what are the other three groups doing at that time? Can one of those groups have leisure time? Can one of them work with a paraprofessional? Can one of them have computer time? What are those other groups doing? Have a really clear schedule. And my advice is if you've read my blog for a long time, you've heard me say this. After you have that schedule on paper, you got to do some test runs because so often something works on paper but does not work in real life. So we have to see how this actually works in real life because sometimes, you know, when we establish it all on our on our spreadsheet, we're all good to go. We're like, this is going to be perfect. You realize maybe you forgot one complete group or the order of the centers that you set up just doesn't make sense. So you want to kind of play around with it in real life because there's a lot of learning that can happen from practicing it. But once you have that clear schedule, then we're not done yet. We have to figure out how we are sharing that schedule with our students and with our team. So our kids need to know how they are rotating around the room. If they are expected to go from circle time working with the teacher to a fluency center working with a paraprofessional to break time to computer to working with another paraprofessional, how do they know that? A large group schedule on the board may not be the best fit for every student. Schedules should be individualized. We want to look at the needs of our kids to know what type of schedule to give them. So if you put a written schedule on the board and some of your kids can't read yet, that schedule is not accessible to them. Versus if you put a visual schedule on the board, but not all of your kids need visuals, some of them can read, that's not quite appropriate either. So I truly recommend individual schedules for each student. My life runs on an individual schedule. I, I mean it, guys. And I don't have a color-coded board maker, Velcroed, you know, schedule Velcroed to my wall. But I have a schedule that is on my Google Calendar, and that's how I function. That's how I know when meetings are, when I, how I know when I have clients or PDs. That is my individual schedule. That is accessible to me. It is at my level. Not every student should have a picture schedule. Not every student should have a written schedule. You should be creating individual schedules based on their skill set. So we have to communicate the schedule to our students. Then we have to communicate the schedule to our staff. That might mean printing out that Google spreadsheet for them. That might mean making their own schedule of, hey, Miss Thomas, this is what your day looks like. From 8 to 8.30, you are 
working, you are going to help with breakfast. From 8.30 to 9, you are running circle time with these three kids. From 9 to 9.30, you are going to do story time with these three kids. So write that down. Break that down exactly for them. So there is no miscommunication about the who, where, and when. They know exactly who they should be working with, where, and at what time. That is so, so key. That staff schedule is honestly a game changer if you haven't had it before. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So we're clarifying the schedule for both staff and students. Then we want to clarify expectations for both staff and students. So this is when we do that homework of knowing exactly what kids are going to be doing at every part of the day. Now, just because students aren't with you all day doesn't mean you're not responsible for what they're doing. You're still their teacher. So if your paraprofessionals are running centers, which I highly recommend, that means you are setting up what's at the center. You are teaching your teammate how to accomplish those goals, how to work on the skills in that center, and breaking that all down. So you want to look at your students' IEP goals and figure out what types of activities would help them meet those goals. Things I love to have paraprofessionals work on are fluency centers. I think that is an amazing way to work on generalization of skills and skill maintenance, make sure that we're keeping those previously mastered skills really speedy. If you are in my professional development membership group, we have two really long videos on fluency where I really break down how to set this up. Fluency is one of the first things I set up when I do a new classroom consult. Fluency can be a great center for a para to run. They can run an IEP goal station where you are assigning them specific IEP goals to work on. They can run a circle time, a story time, a sensory area, a leisure activity. They can run art, independent work, pretty much anything. Anything you can be running, they can be running too. You can teach them how to do that. So set up what those expectations are. Don't have a bin of activities and be like, here, wing it. You know, really write out for your team member what you want them to be doing with the students, what you want them to look like, and make sure those expectations are really clear. Because if the expectations are unclear for your staff member, then it's gonna be very unclear for the student what they're expected to do. And that's when some behavior challenges can start to arise. So starting to you know prevent problem behavior really starts at the team level. We need to all be on the same page. You know, your teacher, your paraprofessionals, clinicians, everyone. And when you guys are all on the same page, then you can set really clear expectations for your students. But it's hard to set clear expectations for students when you don't have those expectations yourself as the as the adult running the center. Okay, so we've set up our groups, we've set up our schedules and our expectations. Now we get to the fun part. Now we get to actually run those groups. There's a few best practices that I always recommend when we are running small groups. You don't want to just jump right into the activity. You want to do a few things to really set the tone for academic engagement. So when your students sit down with you, there's a few things I want you to do first. 
and this one's going to sound familiar. I want you to review the expectations and the schedule. I know schedules on schedules and expectations and expectations. Every single time your kids sit with you and are ready to learn, I want you to remind them what the expectations are. Are the expectations that they should raise hands? Should they take turns? Should they review an anchor chart? Should they sit quietly while someone else is talking? So remind them in a way that is accessible to them. If your students have strong receptive language, then you know reviewing those rules is great. You may want to supplement with written expectations on the board or visuals or have students say or take turns practicing saying what the expectations are. This is really important to do this every time. This can take less than 60 seconds as a quick review, but we want to always be setting that stage and what that looks like, reminding our kids every day what those norms are, and that's really essential. Then we want to remind them of the schedule. And this is now that mini schedule. What what are we doing within the next 15, 20, or 30 minutes? However long your center is, what are we doing within that time? Because most likely you'll be doing multiple activities. And now I'm someone, especially when I used to do a lot of in-home therapy, I am super guilty of like surprising kids with how much work they had to do. And I did not mean to do this, but I would always put all the tasks or activities that we were doing in a session on a chair next to me. And I realized after a while doing this that how annoying it probably was to some of my clients, but I would put it all in the chair next to me. And, you know, so it wasn't all out on the table. It wasn't overwhelming. And we would, I would pull out activities and we'd do them or whatever that looked like. And there was always a moment where, you know, you could tell in the, in the child's eyes, he thought the chair was empty and I pull out one more activity and he's kind of like, oh, because I wasn't clarifying how much work there was to do. That's where a mini schedule can really come in handy to even just write out, hey, we're going to do a worksheet. We're going to read a book. We're going to play a game. And then we're all done. You know, just showing these are the four things we're doing right now. So when we get to that fourth thing, we're not surprised. We know it's coming. You, a mini schedule, just like a daily schedule, can be totally individualized. You can write it on a dry erase board, write it on a post-it. You can use pictures, visuals, um, real photos, whatever you want to do to show the order of activities. So reviewing expectations is expectations and schedules is going to be the first thing you do every time. It can take, like I said, less than two minutes, but you want to make sure that every time your kids sit down with you, that's what you're doing. After you do that, then you're going to do the activities. So whatever you've planned, whether this is a math group and you're going to work on some math equations together, whether this is a literacy group and you are working on tracing letters in the alphabet and categorizing whether this is a social skills group and you are working on playing games and taking turns and commenting and, you know, active listening skills, do that activity, you know, go through whatever you're doing or the, the, the few activities that you've prepared while doing these activities, embed reinforcement. That means incorporate things that your students love into the work activities that you are doing. Make the work fun. If that means lots of praise, add in lots of praise. If that means that you are matching letters that have SpongeBob in the background, then go ahead and match letters with SpongeBob in the background. If that means students are going to be with their best friends so they can practice their math and their guided reading groups together, great. 
I say a lot of times, be the chocolate chip cookie. And when I say that, I'm talking about pairing. I want you as the teacher to be a chocolate chip cookie because who doesn't love a chocolate chip cookie? I want your students to want to be around you and in your classroom. And I want you to do the same thing with the work that you give your students. Make the work a chocolate chip cookie. Make it fun. Make it engaging. Make it a game. Make it a competition. For some kids, that's not going to be reinforcing. Some kids are like, heck no, competition's not my thing. But other kids, you could start keeping score and they're like here for it. They've got to win, right? So figure out what your kids' reinforcers are and then embed that into the work as much as possible. You're going to have a lot more success and a lot more opportunities for true engagement if in, if reinforcement is embedded into the activity versus if you are giving reinforcers after the activity. I know that's a lot of times what we have to do, right? We have like a first work, then, you know, an iPad or, you know, a token system, things like that. But if we can make the actual work reinforcing, we don't even have a need for that. And the activity itself is going to be what the reward is because it's fun. It's not something that we need to add an external reinforcement system for. So look at how you can embed reinforcers into that activity to kind of get the most bang for your buck. All right, there we go. Those are my big picture best practices for running small groups or centers. And I did it in under 20 minutes. That was my goal. I'm a talker, so I could have gone on a long tangent on a lot of these topics here. So we want to group our students according to similar goals. So we can have efficient instruction and we can give each student that just right content. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just right. Then we want to set up clear schedules and expectations for both staff and students. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be and when, and everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. Then when we jump into running those groups, we review those expectations every single time and create mini schedules to show exactly what we're doing at each center. Mini schedules can be something as simple as a written out list on the dry erase board to having kind of mini photos of the different activities. When we do the activity or the activities for each center, we are embedding a ton of reinforcement. We want that activity to be fun and engaging and exciting for each student. So really work on identifying what students' reinforcers are and incorporating that into your academic lessons. If you follow this laundry list of goals, which is a lot, but you got this, your small groups are not only going to be very efficient, but they are going to be very effective at accomplishing a lot of great instruction during a short amount of time. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening.
Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.